I hope that you had an incredible 4th of July week and weekend and got to spend time with family and friends and relax some. And my, my prayer is that today the Holy Spirit prompts your heart to move in some way, that, that you really feel him and understand that he's in this room moving amongst us, with us today. But to do so, I'm going to use a story from the Old Testament or a book of the Bible from the Old Testament. And so we're doing a series. It's called The Old Testament, Stories Worth Knowing. A few years ago, we did a series called The OT, and we pulled stories out of the Old Testament that maybe you've forgotten about, haven't ever heard of, or it's just been a while since you've read it. But we think they're stories that are very valuable to you. And so since it's the summer and we know people are coming and going, we understand that you might not be able to be here next week. And so maybe you'll miss the second half of this series. Well, Pastor Blair is going to deliver that um, sermon. And when he speaks, it's going to be completely different than what I'm talking about. So the only thing that's connecting them is that they're stories from the Old Testament and they're stories about females from the Old Testament. Other than that, they stand alone on their own. And so this morning, I hope that you can pull something out of a story that I think is a pretty incredible one. But before I can even get there, before we can even open scripture up and even look at it, I need to tell another story first. And this story is gonna take a little while, but it's one that I think has incredible impact and really relates to the message from the Old Testament that I wanna talk about today. And so, if you'd bear with me, I wanna share this story. There's, it, it has all the making to be an epic tale. In fact, I don't know why Walt Disney himself didn't take the rights to it and make a movie out of it. It has protagonist characters, antagonists, it has conflict resolution, it has plot twists, there's a whole bunch of irony. There's all these different elements working in this story that not many people know. And so I want to take a little while and share that story with you. So if you would, just relax and enjoy the story, and then I'm going to pair it to the Old Testament. See, the story happened a long, long time ago in a far, far away land. There was a king and he was a mighty king. This king thought that he was the most powerful person in the world. In fact, he thought that he was so powerful that he wanted everybody else to know how powerful he was. He thought everybody would be jealous of him because of how many riches he had. So he decided that for 180 days he was going to open his palace up and anybody from the surrounding area can come to the palace and can see all of the wealth, all of the food, all of the mighty power that he has. And so people came from all over and they, they lavished at what he had and they looked at it and they were jealous and envious of this king. And at the end of the 180 days, he felt pretty good about himself. He said things like, I'm the most powerful man in the world. Look at how much gold I have. Look at how much silver I have. But he wasn't happy with just that. He decided that he needed this party to extend a little bit. And so he added seven days to the end of this party. And during these seven days, only men were allowed in the palace. And they were going to come. And they were going to eat. And they were going to drink. And they were going to be merry together. And so he invited everybody from other princes to nobles to co common folk to come into the kingdom and to see how powerful he was. So people came and they left, they ate and they drank, and they had a lot of fun. Well, on the seventh day, the king had a little too much to drink. And he realized, maybe my wealth isn't enough. 
Maybe everybody here needs to see that I've married the most beautiful woman in the world. I want to show off my queen. And so he sent one of his messengers to call the queen to come to the palace so that he could show her off to everyone. Now the women of the town weren't just sitting idly by waiting for the husbands to come home during those seven days. They were having a party of their own where they got to see how powerful the queen was and they got to spend time with the queen. And so when the queen heard that the king wanted her, she realized, no, I'm not going. I don't want to be paraded around to show people how beautiful I am. I know that you've had too much to drink and that's the only reason you're calling me over there. I'm going to stay put. And so she stayed put. Well, when the king found out, he immediately became infuriated. He was furious. Who was she to defy the king? And so he called together everybody that he trusted, his counsel, and said, what are we going to do? I made a direct order and the queen disobeyed me. What can we do? Well, one advisor raised his hand and he had an idea. He said, listen, king, this is going to cause more problems than what you realize. Because if other men in our community realize, I'm sorry, if other women in our community realize that the queen disobeyed the king, think of what wives will be doing to their husbands. They won't be listening to us anymore. You have to do something. I think you should kick her out of the palace, remove her crown, and not allow her to be around anymore. Well, the king liked that advice and he took it. And so he kicked her out, but then he made another decree. And the next decree was, all women must obey their husbands. And things seemed to be going well, although the queen, king no longer had a queen. And so he realized he needed to do something. Because who is a powerful king without his wife, a beautiful queen? And so he asked for some ideas. And one idea he really liked it was to get all of the single ladies in the community to parade through the palace so that he could talk to different ones and decide who he thought was suitable to marry. Well, women came and they left and he couldn't find a suitable partner. And so he wasn't quite sure what to do. Well, during this same time, there was a young lady in the community that was kind of born into the wrong tribe. She was a Cinderella of sorts. In fact, she was born to a group of people that had been kicked out of their homeland, defeated and destroyed, and they had no house. And so she moved from place to place trying to find a home. But it wasn't just that that made her life rough. See, she also was an orphan. Her dad died when her mom was pregnant with her, and then her mother died a few years later. And so we have this orphan child that's moving from place to place, but had one stable person in her life. Her uncle came in and said, I will raise you as my own. And the uncle knew that his niece was the most beautiful girl in the community. And she was getting to the age of where she could be married off to somebody. And so he thought to himself, if our people, our tribe want a chance, we need to have a queen that's from our tribe to make an influence. And so he told his niece, go outside the palace gates and wait there and talk to people and interact with people and they will surely notice you because of your beauty and they will take you in and maybe you can become a queen. But know this, don't ever tell them where you are from or what tribe you belong to because surely no queen can come from our tribe. And so that's what she did 
and she quickly was noticed by some of the castle workers. They realized how nice she was, how kind she was, how pretty she was. And they said, would you like to come in and meet the king? And she met the king, and the king realized, this is the most beautiful girl I have ever seen. She's incredibly compassionate and nice. I would love to make you my wife. And she becomes the queen. This orphan child becomes the queen. And so things are going on well. The kingdom's running itself. But the uncle, like any good uncle or father figure would do, didn't want to just sit back and allow her to be far away in a palace. He wanted to know what was going on in her life. So he would go to the city gates and position himself where he could hear how things were happening with the queen, his niece. And so he positioned himself there, and one day he overheard two guards talking. These two guards were mad at the king, and they were plotting how they could kill him. Well, the uncle heard this news and thought, what should I do with it? Well, he went to his niece, who is the queen, and said, this is what's going on. You must tell the king. The king finds out. He investigates, and sure enough, it was true. These guys were trying to kill him, and he has these men killed. Now what happens is the king immediately falls even more in love with his queen because he realizes you didn't just marry me because I told you you had to marry me and because I'm the powerful king. You married me because you truly love me because you could have had me killed if you wanted to, but you're loyal to me. And that really helped her influence in the kingdom. Well, as this was going on and as the kingdom continued to grow, the kingdom got out of hand. There were too many people. And so they needed to bring some helpers in to help manage things. So the king found a trusted advisor, his second-hand man, who would help run different things. Well, the second-hand man was a guy that wanted people to worship him himself. And so when he would walk around the town, he would demand that people bow. And if people didn't bow, he would get furious and either have them killed or force them to bow. Well, he got to the city gates and came across the queen's uncle. Now, nobody knew that the queen was related to this man that always stayed outside the gates. And when he came up to the man, he told him to bow. He refused to because this man said, I've made a vow to only bow to my God. I can't bow to you. And it infuriated the second-hand man. He went straight to the king and said, what are we going to do? Surely this man who's from a tribe that's been defeated and kicked out won't bow to me. What are others going to do that are more valuable or that are from a better tribe? Surely they won't bow to you, my king, and we can't have a kingdom that doesn't respect us. So the king made a decree. Every man, woman, and child from this group must be killed. Now, as soon as he made this decree... The uncle heard about it and he fell on hard times because he knew it was his fault. He started to think, should have I just bowed? I know I made a vow, but now all my people are gonna die. What should I do? How do I handle this? I trust my God, I love my God, but what can I even do now that we're all sentenced to death? Well, he decided that the best thing to do would be to go talk to his niece, the queen, and try and persuade her to talk to her husband, the king. But it wasn't so easy. At that time, the queen couldn't just walk up to the king and talk to him. You had to be summoned by the king to come into his presence. And so for the queen just to walk in there, she was risking her life because there was a law written. If the king didn't extend his golden scepter, the queen would be put to death. 
The golden scepter was a signification of saying, you can come into my presence and ask me whatever you want. And so the queen told her uncle, what you're asking me to do is almost a death sentence. I don't know if he's going to have me killed. If I go in there, what's going to happen to me? And the uncle said, but listen, all of your people are going to be killed and die if you don't. You have to go on our behalf. And she said, you know, really things are going well. I have anything that I want. Why should I do this? I'm going to risk my own life. And her uncle said, very truly I tell you, someday you're going to die and you'll have to face the decision that you made. Do the right thing here and talk to the king. Well, after some contemplating, she decided that the right thing to do was to go to the king on her community's behalf. And so she went to the king and she explained um, that she had a favor to ask him. Well, the king said, what's your favor? Surely I will give you anything that you want, including up to half of my kingdom. The king was full in love with her. And she said, if it's in your will, will you have a meal with me tomorrow and bring your second in command? And there I will ask you what it is that I need to ask for. The king said, we will be there. He told his second in command, we have lunch plans. I'd like you to come to this time to have a meal with the queen and I. The second in command, who's the one who made the king make the decree, was feeling really good about himself because he felt like not only did I win the king's favor, I also won the queen's favor as well. And things are going really well in life. And so the next day comes and they go, they have their meal together. Everything's going great. They have a lot of fun. And then the king says, what is it, my dear? What do you want from me? And she said, King, if I could have it in your favor, would you please have another meal with me tomorrow where you bring your second in command and there I promise I will ask you for the favor. The king said, sure, we will be there. He sent away his second in command. He sent away the queen and he went back to his business. And as the second in command was leaving, he was thinking to himself, how lucky am I? Not only did I get to come to one meal, I'm going to go to another meal tomorrow until he hit the city gates. And when he hit the city gates, he saw the queen's uncle again and he was instantly reminded of the man that will not bow to him. And he became furious. He went home and he told some construction workers, start building the biggest pool that you know. Tomorrow, after my meal, I will hang that man that sits on the outside of the city limits on that pole, and everybody will see and we will make an example of him. And so he was feeling a little bit better about himself. He knew the pole was being constructed. He knew he had a nice meal the next day. And he went home and he was going to sleep. Well, at the same time, the king was sleeping. And while the king was sleeping, he woke up and he had a little bit of a vision. And in his vision, he realized he never properly thanked the guy that helped save his life, that told the queen about the two guards that were plotting to kill him. And how could he not thank this guy? Now, it just so happens to be the same guy that wasn't willing to bow to the second in command. And so as soon as the king wakes up in the morning, he summons his second-hand man and he says to him, what is it that I should do to thank somebody that is loyal and faithful to the king, that trusts the king, that serves the king, and has the king's best interests? What's a proper thank you? Well, the second in command started to think, oh my goodness, 
He wants to thank me for being such a good person. Then I'm going to have a meal with him. And then I'm going to hang my enemy. Everything's going great. Until the king said, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the guy at the city gates that we need to thank. I want you to parade him around on a horse that I've rode, wearing a gown that I've worn and a crown that I've worn, and you need to tell everybody in the village how great of a person he is and how loyal he is. Now imagine dragging or leading your enemy around from town to town, place to place, proclaiming how great this person is. It infuriated the second in command that he had to be humbled to this position and to serve somebody that wasn't even willing to bow to him. But he had to do what the king ordered, so he did it. And then at the end, he was at the palace gates and he knew it was time to go have his meal. So he went to have his meal and as he was sitting down, he was a little flustered, but he was still glad because he was in the presence of the king and queen and they were eating and having a good time and they were drinking and having a good time and things started to get better and his attitude started to change until the king asked the queen, what is it that I can do for you? And the queen said, if you could find it in your heart, will you please spare my life and the life of everybody from my tribe. For you guys made a decree that we all will die. Well, the king became furious. He said, which advisor gave me the advice to put that decree out? Who was it that told me to do this? Who wants my wife dead that they would lead me to make this decision? And the queen said, it was that guy right there, your second in command. And not only does he want all of us dead, but he also wants the guy that saved your life by telling us about the guards that were plotting to kill you to hang on a pole, and the pole's being constructed right outside of his house right now. Well, the king said, any advisor of mine that wants to see my family hurt or perish is no advisor, they must be put to death. And he ordered that that man, the second in command, be hung on the very pole that he had constructed for the uncle that would not bow. After that, the uncle and the queen continued to live, well, the uncle moves into the palace, the queen was already living there, and they served the king loyally and faithfully, happily ever after. Well, not truthfully, because what I just told you was the story of Esther. I don't know if any of you picked up on it, but Esther's an Old Testament story of a gal that was an orphan and went from being an orphan without a homeland to the queen with incredible courage. And so this morning, I want to look at the courage that it took Esther to have to become queen, to confront the king, and to protect her people, and look at your life and my life. And look at different principles that she lived by that helped her make courageous decisions. Because I think that God has a plan for each of us in this room today. And a lot of times his plan requires us having courage to chase after it and to follow him. And so I think there's a clear formula in the book of Esther as to how we can have courage to live. A courage that Esther had. Now I have to tell you, Different scholars argue about this book. Some people say this book of the Bible happened verbatim. There was really a lady named Esther, there was really a king, and it all happened. Now others argue and say, no, no, no. It's just a story teaching morals and parables. 
And then others say, no, it's a story about a different person that lived at the Old Testament time that we can look at the Jewish, the relationship between the Jews and between God because the tribe that Esther was involved with was the Jewish people that had been captured and defeated by Babylon and exiled from their homeland. Now, whatever it is, it does not matter because what we're talking about today isn't going to impact whichever idea you would identify with. But before we get going, I want to point out a few things about the book of Esther. Esther was the main character. She was the queen that finally made it there. But her uncle was named Mordecai. He was really wise and really cared after her. Esther married King Xerxes. King Xerxes' first wife that he banished from the kingdom was named Queen Vashti. Now, Queen Xerxes' second in command was named Haman. And the book was written or took place in the late 400. Um, BC, close to 500 BC. And during this time, all of these characters were working together to create this story of courage, an amount of courage that I think you and I can live with when God calls us to do something that maybe we're uncomfortable with. But the truth is, we have to have a plan in place to act with courage. And so if you have your Bibles with me, or with you, please turn to Esther chapter 2, verse 20. In Esther chapter 2, we come across our first point of a formula for courage, how Esther responds. Because see, the first thing that you have to do when you need to respond with courage in life is identify that there's even a situation going on that you need to respond to with courage. If you miss it, then you won't even know. So you have to identify the pull at your heart. And so in Esther chapter two, verse 20, it says... But Esther had kept secret her family background and nationality, just as Mordecai had told her to do. For she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. For Esther, when she would identify the pull at her heart, it happened a lot of times because of her uncle Mordecai, somebody that she trusted and loved. He would tell her, hey, you need to go talk to the king on our behalf hey, you need to go outside of the palace and stay there so you can have a chance at becoming the queen. Mordecai was kind of her conscious and would identify when situations would arise where she needed courage. Now for you and I, it might look like a friend. Maybe there's a friend in your life that says, hey, I've, I've noticed this about you. you. You're very compassionate, you're very caring. Have you ever thought about doing a career in this area? And maybe all of a sudden, you start to have an idea that maybe you should change passions or create or start a new hobby. Or maybe it comes from a family member like Mordecai where they might say to you, hey, it it looks like something's off. I don't know what's going on in your life, but you're not being yourself. I can tell something's different about you. And a family member might step in and identify that there's a moment where you're gonna need courage in life soon. Or mostly for us, it comes through the Holy Spirit. God pulling at our heart and saying, hey, I want you to go up and talk to that kid at school, even though he's different and no one else is talking to him. You need to go talk to him and don't worry about looking different. I'm telling you to go do this. Or maybe you're sitting at a mechanic shop getting your oil changed and you see there's a mother there with a bunch of kids getting her tires done and, and you feel God tell you, hey, I want you to go up and talk to her. And you're like, no, that's weird, I'm not gonna do that. And God's like, no, I want you to go talk to her. 
For us to act in courage, the first thing we have to do is understand that there's a situation around us going on where we need to step up in courage. Once we've recognized that, then the next thing that we have to do comes from Esther chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, Esther right now is talking to one of her advisors that was going to go talk to Mordecai. This is when they were debating onto about whether she was going to go in front of the king and risk her life or not. So she's instructing one of her messengers or advisors. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and people of royal province know for any man or woman who approached the king in the inner courts without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the golden scepter to them and spares their life. See, once you realize that something's going on in your life where you need to respond with courage, the next thing that you're going to start thinking about is what do I have to risk? What do I have to give up? For Esther, she had to risk her life. If I go in front of him, he can have me put to death. For you and I, it probably doesn't look as serious as that. Maybe you've went to school, you've worked hard, you've gotten to a position of where you finally want to be, and all of a sudden the pull at your heart is to change careers. And you're like, it makes no sense, God. Why, why do you want me to give up my career? Why do you want me to go in this area? I've made it. What if I fail at this? What if I don't have as much financial security? What if people view me differently? You gotta risk something. Maybe it looks like you're, you're in a committed relationship and things are going fine right now, but a long time ago you made a bad choice and made a mistake and nobody knows about this and you've buried it inside and haven't told anyone. And all of a sudden, God's saying, hey, you need to talk to your spouse about what you did years ago. And you're like, God, why, why do you want me to do that? Things are going great. I don't need to bring that up. It's just gonna cause hurt and pain for everybody. But God's like, no, it's time for you to get that out of the darkness and bring light to it so we can work through it. And you're like, that doesn't make sense. Why am I gonna risk my relationship? Why am I gonna risk my family? No, I'm not, I don't really wanna do that. But when we act in courage, we first identify that we need to do something, and then we're willing to risk something. And lastly, the third point to this formula comes from Esther chapter 4, verse 15. Esther was talking to Mordecai. It was about going and talking to the king. She's made the decision that she's going to talk to him, and it's recorded that Esther said, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. See, what Esther did was she got to a point where she knew that she needed to trust God, even if that meant she was going to die. Even if that means it's gonna, it could possibly ruin a relationship if you pull whatever dark secret you've hidden out and talk about it. Even if it means it might um, cause embarrassment because you're identifying with a group of people at school that's a little bit different. Even if it means you might fail at whatever business venture God's put on your heart, you've gotta trust him. And for Esther, the way that she did that was she spent three days and nights fasting and praying to God to make sure this was the decision that he wanted for her. For me, when I have a big decision in life and I look at all my different options, the way that I know I'm picking the right one is the one that I have the most peace with majority of the time. The one that might not make any sense at all and even though it's crazy and doesn't make sense, 
I'm okay with it, then I know that that's from God because God's hand is gonna have to be in that to make it work. Now, it might look different for some of you. You might be facing a decision right now where you could go one way or the other and neither way is right or wrong. God is telling you, just have the courage to choose the direction and go. It's gonna be great no matter what you do, but you have to have the courage to risk something and to step into that space and to move forward. See, I believe that each and every one of us in our culture and today do a great job identifying what we need courage for. I think it comes out in dreams. We dream about what we want our life to look like. We dream about the success we wanna have. We dream about what we want our family to look like. We dream about all these things. And then when you move into the next stage of risk, that's when the dream starts to die. Because you realize, I'm gonna have to risk everything I know. Do I trust God enough that he's gonna carry me through this? That I'm gonna quit my job that I make a lot of money at to start something completely different and maybe fall flat on my face? See, I think we all have the opportunity to act in courage, but the risk and the trust in God are the two areas that hold us back the most. So I want to share a story with you this morning. It's a story that comes from when I was in college, I had an opportunity to work at a local factory. And during my time at this factory, I would sit at the end of a line for the first year that I worked there and catch boards as they came down. And I would count the boards till they got to 85 and then I'd ring a little bell and a tow motor driver would come and he would pick them up, take them off and then I would start stacking again. It wasn't the worst job in the world. It paid really well and it was a lot of fun. But one of the best parts about it were three guys that I met that summer. The first one was named Alex. Alex was a guy from Honduras. He had moved to Elkhart County for work. He had come here with his brother. They had lived together in Elkhart and they, he was a very hard worker. In fact, he had a great attitude. Every morning he would come in singing Welcome to Hotel California, except for he didn't know the words to the song. And so when he come in over and over again, he'd just go, Welcome to the Hotel California. And then he would stop and he would sing it again, over and over again, all day long. But he just had a great attitude. Next was Martin. Martin was a man from Mexico. He had come here with his wife and his children. He had some adult children, and so they were kind of off on their own. But he had a very thick accent. And he was really hard to understand, but he had an incredible sense of humor. In fact, he would say stuff and then just crack up. And nobody else could understand what he was talking about, but he humored himself, and he just was a fun person to be around. And then the last guy that I met that summer that I got closer to was Rolf. Rolf was a man from Iran. He, as a child or as a young teen, tried to escape Iran. And as he got to the border, he got captured. And since he was trying to flee the country, they were going to punish him. And so they whipped him, and his back was full of scars from trying to leave the country. Somehow, he ended up in Bristol, Indiana. I don't know how, but he got here. And he had a very stern stern mentality about himself where he almost seemed kind of um, hard to get to know but if he let you in what you would realize is he cared more about you and the people around him than he did himself and he would carry around a picture of his daughter and he was so proud of his daughter and he'd show anybody that wanted to see her well we spent a lot of time together that summer we ate all of our breaks together we joked with each other spent time together and in the middle of the summer, I felt the Holy Spirit pull on my heart. 
It was very clear, it was the first step of this formula, and it said share the gospel with them. And I thought to myself, whoa, let's look at the risk here. I'm in a factory with a bunch of people where we're telling a bunch of jokes that are inappropriate, we're using language that we shouldn't be using, and I'm gonna be the person to come in and talk about Jesus? I don't think so. That's gonna put a target on my back and no one's gonna wanna talk with me. I'm not doing it, Lord, forget about it. And then I heard God say, no, I want you to share the gospel. I said, God, the risk is too much. See, I was in the last stage where I was struggling to trust God that he would carry me through that situation and that he had a plan. I knew what God was telling me to do. I knew the risk associated. I just was struggling to trust him. And we went back and forth, back and forth until the summer ended, and I never shared the gospel with those guys. Now, what bothers me the most about that story isn't the fact that I didn't share the gospel with them because I believe that God will put somebody in their life that will be an opportunity, but the fact that I didn't have the courage to do what a God that loves me called me and gave me the opportunity to do. See, he doesn't need to use me, but he wanted to. And there was a purpose for why he wanted to use me. He wanted to grow me and to show me all sorts of different things that I missed out on because I didn't have enough enough trust in God. I don't know what situation you're facing in life. I don't know what you need courage for. You might need courage just to keep living every day because life is a chaotic mess. You might need courage to decide, should I uproot my family and move to a completely different area even though they're established in their school, or should I quit my job and try something different? But each of us, right now, the Holy Spirit is pulling on our hearts for one area or another to have courage and to step into. The problem is, the risk and trust in God is what will hold us back. And so let me encourage you, spend time with God Get to know God so that when you can identify the pull on your heart, you can have enough courage to overcome the risk and enough trust in him that you'll take a step in that and see what God will do for you. I think our community could be transformed if we stepped up and lived with courage instead of of, became afraid of the risk that we had in our lives. I'm gonna ask the band to come up. They're going to play a special song for you. And when they play this song, I want you to listen to the words. I think this song is God speaking to you wherever you're at, whatever you have going on. It's advice that he wants to give you as you continue working through life and trying to find courage in every situation. So if you would, we'll bow your heads. We'll pray first, and then they're going to play a song. Dear Lord, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for today. I want to thank you for the opportunity to be up here and speak, an opportunity to come into a place and serve you and worship alongside other believers. But ultimately, what I want my prayer to be is that you allow each and every one of us to have courage to act, to not allow us to fall into the risk or the trust in you, but to step up and have courage like Esther did. Lord, you took an orphan that had No mother or father, no homeland, and you made her queen. Look at what you could do for this community, for this church, for this area, if we started acting in courage and going and following you as your spirit leads us. We thank you and love you for everything you've done for us. In your name I pray, amen.